On the Riabu podcast today, we're going to tackle an issue we first addressed just over a year ago. What happens if you're an SME, you're an entrepreneur, maybe even a one-man shop, and you sell your products on consignment? In other words, you leave your products in a physical store, and then when a customer buys the product, you actually then get paid for it, minus some sort of commission for the retailer. Now, in Singapore, this has once again become a particularly hot topic with the closure of uh, one such chain called Nice. Uh, by the way, that is spelled N-A-I-I-S-E, um, in case you're looking it up on the internet. The story so far is that back in 2013, Nice started as an online store. Two years later, they started opening physical stores, which I guess goes against the trend of most retailers who start physical and end up online. In any case, Nice ended up with a nice bunch of stores, both in Singapore and Malaysia, with the Jewel Changi store possibly being the largest and the flagship store. Now we've just heard in the last uh, two weeks or so that Nice has, show, has shut shop for good. And all of those retailers that I've mentioned, rather all of those suppliers that I've mentioned, the local uh, uh, fashion designers, for example, the local designer of miniatures, the local uh, perfume vendor, who are all relying on Nice to proffer their products to customers, are obviously now left in the lurch because not only have they now no longer got this outlet to sell their products, but it appears that they've been looking for payment for a long time. Dennis Tay, the founder of Nice, uh, has declared that he's going to file uh, for bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy, having already closed the stores. Um, and, uh, and yet, Simon Littlewood, the question isn't so much just about, you know, where does this leave the, the little entrepreneurs who've been selling their products through NICE, but the whole question of, you know, was it really COVID that, that brought down the, the chain uh, of, of stores, given that we couldn't actually go out and, and visit those stores? Um, and what can you do if you are one of those uh, small designers and you're selling things on consignment? Initial reactions? Well, my initial reaction is that um, what seems to be a good opportunity is not a very good opportunity. And that when you sell something to someone or supply something, something to, to someone who offers to pay you when he's sold it, but he doesn't pay you when he's sold it, remember that's what we're hearing about here, mm -hmm. then you shouldn't go on supplying it. Because what we've got here is we've got one particular supplier, but a lot of suppliers as well. Yes. We basically have been providing goods to this retail chain. The retail chain has been allegedly selling them and presumably being paid for them, but hasn't been paying the suppliers. Um, if that's happening, you stop supplying. That simple. Because usually on Riabu we talk about what happens when you issue an invoice and then you don't get paid. But consignment situations are somewhat different. Well, aren't consignment they? situation. This is not new. This 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 is very common in in B two B in business to business as it is in business to customer. So, for example, if I'm selling a, a an input of some kind to a factory, let's say I'm a factory and I'm manufacturing something, and twenty suppliers have to provide me with stuff that go into my product. I get them to deliver the stuff to my factory, it sits in a consignment area, and it's only when I take the product from the consignment area and move it to my production line that that triggers an invoice. That's how consignment sales work. That's been going for years and years and years and years. But at that point, when I trigger the invoice, there are terms of trade that apply to the invoice. So that then has to be paid. What we're dealing with here is we're dealing with a situation of consignment where those terms are not being met. 
But despite the fact that they're not being met, supplies are going on, putting the product into the consignment area so that it can be consumed. Yeah. Um, so um, the first thing to note is that if you're going to agree to this, you need to be very careful about how you manage it. And as soon as you discern that the person that you're selling to is not actually paying you for the product he's consuming, then you need to look at very carefully about whether you carry on doing it. Yeah? Right. I mean, Clearly, there's a broader question uh, about the ethics of this and about whether this was misadventure or whether it was calculated. And I don't know the individual concern and I don't know the business concerned. Well, we, we did invite, when we first talked about this just over a year ago, we uh, sent a message to, to Dennis Tay inviting him to speak to us on the podcast. And uh, to date, he hasn't uh, yet replied. We're certainly not here to make any allegations. We're here to help the the, the small, the little guy, as usual. You know, the one who's uh, out of pocket because they've uh, put a product in a store and haven't got paid. So, Simon. Well, so, so um, we have Mark. You and I published a book called Let the Cash Flow, which, by the way, uh, I believe you can get from Amazon. Um, uh, and in the chapter, the first part of the book is why does any of this matter? It's about helping small companies get paid. And in the chapter why receivables matter on page twenty-one, we give an example. It's, it's actually called Margaret Makes Chairs, but it is precisely what's, what's been going on with NICE. That is to say, the, the point of the case is that if you are buying more and more and more from your suppliers on your manufacturing more and more in order to meet the demand of a customer, but the customer isn't paying you or is paying you much, much later than you're having to pay your suppliers, then you have an unmanageable imbalance. The more successful quote unquote, that is the more, the greater the volume that you shift, the greater your working capital requirement, the more cash you need to keep your business going. So first point, when you make an agreement with your customer, look at what your agreements are with your suppliers, if you have suppliers, and make sure that there is balance. Or if there isn't balance, and if there is an imbalance, that is if you have to pay your suppliers before your customer pays you, make sure you have enough working capital in your business, that is available cash, to sustain that gap as it grows and grows and grows. Because if you have that imbalance, the more you sell to your customer, the more money you're going to need to put into your company to run the business day to day. This simple fact often eludes entrepreneurs who think, hey, more sales, I'm going to have more cash. So the first question is, what are the terms and what does that mean in terms of balance? And if you can't sustain it, then change, that is get more working capital, then change the terms or don't do the deal. Because there's only one outcome, which is that you're going to run out of cash, which is what's happening in this case. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so once again, our invitation is uh, wide open for Dennis to, to appear on, on our podcast to tell us uh, his side of the story. Certainly online, he's already uh, pointed out that he's simply not been able to make ends meet, that he's taken out all, all manner of loans in order to sustain his own business, which in, in the end, as, as he says, is leading him to apply for personal bankruptcy. But as I said, let's focus on the the ones who are providing the perfumes, the ones who are, you know, designing uh, fashion articles locally and that had hoped to, to sell through these stores. Let's focus on the ones who, you know, did the little miniatures uh, that they were selling through through Nice. These people are obviously craftspeople, right? They're very good at miniatures. They're very good at fabric design. They're, they're very good at uh, selecting the right perfumes. Chances are, cash flow management, working capital and understanding of doing exactly the sorts of things you're talking about, it's probably not the top of their agenda. It's very often not the top of the agenda for anyone starting an SME because people don't start companies 
in order to be an expert in invoicing and collecting money, mostly. They start companies because they have a good idea, and I suppose there's probably some kind of index that we could create which suggests just how bad different types of entrepreneur are at, uh, at, at understanding cash flow, perhaps creative types who create fashion and, and, and color and beauty and those kinds of things are particularly reluctant or particularly uncomfortable breaching the question of payment. We've met a few actually in this studio. Um, but whether or not that's the case, the bottom line is if you don't get paid in sufficiently good time to be able to pay your operating expenses, you're gonna go out of business. And as we've said in the book and a number of times, when we've talked about this, the single commonest cause for small and medium-sized enterprises to go out of business is not that they lack creative flair, it's that they run out of cash because they're victims of their own success. So first of all, understand what that success means, i.e. does it mean I'm going to have more cash or less cash? Because in most cases it means I'm going to have less cash. And secondly, make sure that you're able to meet that less cash requirement in the near term. That might require more shelters equity, like you, your family, or whatever. It's okay if, you, if you're aware of it. Or it might require that you borrow. But if you do nothing and simply hope for the best, you might get to the point where you have absolutely no option but to stop or give away chunks of the business or maybe borrow money on favorable terms, uh, which is another unfortunate outcome. Yeah, well for a lot of these companies, for them it was also about exposure. You know, so while you said earlier on, you should just stop selling to, to you know, providing goods to companies that sell on consignment but then don't pay you. For a lot of these, uh, these little guys, for them it's really about making sure that you know, they have the bragging rights to say, hey look, you know, my goods, my creations are carried here in the store. What is the, the value that you ascribe to that sort of a Yes, I, absolutely. Bragging rights are great. You, you started multiple businesses, Mark, as have I. And it, as you start a business, it's very important that you're able to say, well, I do business with so-and-so and I do business with so-and-so. That's sort of electric because success breeds success. But in addition to defining your product and finding new customers, have something called a credit policy or a get paid on time policy, which we also talk about in the book, which is a very simple two or three page, and there's a very simple example of it in the book, uh, of a credit policy which you get your customer to sign, which says exactly when you bill them and when they pay you. And the moment they depart from that, then you talk to them, and if they are not going to adhere to it or change it, then you need to look very carefully at whether you continue supplying, because bragging rights are great, mm. but it's no good bragging while you're bankrupt. Okay. <laughs> Because, well, you can, yes. uh, you know, and maybe. I mean, Donald Trump, perhaps. I mean, it doesn't, it, his bankruptcies have not inhibited him from bragging. <laughs> but if you don't want to be a spectacular bankrupt, have a credit policy, discuss it with your customers, and be ready to stop supply if they're not meeting your agreed terms. Yes. One final point. Having. Um uh, obviously, having had an issue like this, you know, it's going to be difficult for other entrepreneurs to come along and offer a similar type of outlet for these local producers, right? Because the local producers, having been burnt, uh, as they say, you know, to the tune of hundreds or even thousands of dollars uh, or more, um, they're obviously going to be very reluctant to sell things on consignment in the future. Let's say one of our listeners, one of you, actually wants to start a chain of physical stores proffering locally produced local creations. 
What sort of mindset should you then have as you deal with suppliers like that? Um, how should you kind of, I guess, split your business into that part of the warehouse, as you described earlier, where your supplier's goods sit? How should you arrange your finances in such a way that that then kicks over into a liability once you move it into the store? Well, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a work, it's the same working capital question in essence, which is what does it cost me to operate the store, including the people, keeping the lights on, the, the physical rent. premises, yep. all those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. day to day, what are my basic operating costs, salaries? And then secondly, um, based on that, you know, what do I need to buy from suppliers? What margins do need to be charged to the customer? And at what point does the money I make from reselling those products become sufficiently large that I can not only pay my operating costs, but also pay the suppliers for what I've bought? Because you have to be able to cover both, right? So it requires some very careful planning and it requires that you, in turn, have enough working capital in your business to keep the business going to the point where the money from customers is flowing through. It's not normally that much of a problem for retailers for this very simple reason, that retailers commonly pay their suppliers on fairly lengthy terms, that is on one month, two month, three month terms, whereas their customers, in the vast majority of cases, pay them either instantly, pay wave or cash, um, or within a couple of days by credit card, which is the longest it, that it takes. Which is why bankruptcy of this kind is curious, because the history of retail, particularly the modern trade, which is the big supermarkets, is that the more they sell, the richer they get, simply because they collect the money in cash and they take forever to pay their, pay their suppliers. Mm. So one wonders what went wrong here. Yes. Indeed, and you can read a, a lot about that uh, online. So in other words, it shouldn't be that hard for a new nice to pop up, maybe a nicer nice that actually uh, recognizes that they're actually benefiting from the working capital. Or maybe even the creative suppliers get together and create their own outlet, you know, where they proportionately sell the outgoings. I mean, those <coughs> kinds of things are very hard to, to manage. If you are a supplier, <laughs> and you do want to get your product into a store and you're looking for some advice on how you might assemble that, feel free to contact us at RIAB. We do this all the time. But above all, be aware that working capital is a two-edged sword. It's great to grow your business, but if you don't have the right terms, it's possible that the more you grow it, the more money you need. Beware of that. Understand that going in. And if you want to, talk to us and we'll help you figure out what you can do. Thank you, Simon Littlewood. And Let the Cash Flow is available from Marshall Cavendish on Amazon.